Welcome to Homebase Hope, all about autism, the show that invites you to think differently, inspires you to take a whole child approach, and most of all, instills hope when it comes to your child and autism. I'm your host, Rhiannon Crisp, from homebasehope.com.au. Let's get into it. Hi guys, and welcome back to Homebase Hope. I'm going to start today with a couple of statistics. Did you know that one in four Australian school students report repeated bullying? Half of Australian children say that they have been the target of bullying behaviour at least once. And children on the spectrum are easy targets for school bullies. And I feel this is such an important um, area that we need to look at. And I really want to spend a whole episode equipping you with the tools to approach bullying and show you how you can bully-proof your child. Today, my beautiful guest is Susan Hyde from Stop, Wait, Go, based in Darwin. Sue has been working in the field of education for nearly 30 years. Her background in classroom teaching led to her interest in specialising in children's behaviour. She was an advisor to the Department of Education staff for 12 years, and for the last 10 years, she has worked as an external consultant to assist and empower parents, teachers, and early childhood educators to better understand behaviours. Sue has worked in schools to assist children to manage the issues of bullying and teasing, and she continues to provide workshops on a range of topics. Welcome, Sue. Good morning. Thank you, Rhiannon. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Now, we always start um, getting to know just a little bit more about you. So I'd love to know a little bit about your background and why you're so passionate about working with kids. Uh, why am I so passionate working with kids? Uh, I, I think actually one of the reasons is that uh, you always are learning new things. Even when you think you've got it all sorted, children teach you something new that you hadn't even thought of. So that's, that's one reason, but uh, I've been very fortunate in my career. I've had a very interesting career and uh, the work with children where there are issues, um, children in care, uh, children uh, on the spectrum, all of those things have, have uh, kept an interest for me even after I retired from the Department of Education. Hmm. Wonderful. Well, let's get into the nuts and bolts of it today then um, and just start off with what is bullying? Okay, so the official sort of formal de definition, definition of bullying is that it's planned and repeated. So uh, it's using power over another person to harm them, intimidate or make someone do something, force them to do something that they're uncomfortable about or it's making them fearful. So planned means that they know what they're doing. So if I'm talking about a two-year-old or a three-year-old in a childcare centre, for example, it's often uh, an accusation that, that there's bullying happening. Um, but I prefer to call it bullying behaviour rather than the child's actually a bully. So it's quite common for pre-verbal children, you know, children that have some words but not a lot, when they get some feeling of... Uh, anxiety or, or um, frustration, they will hit out or they might bite because they're still quite mouthing in their behaviours. So I prefer to call that bullying behaviour than they're actually being a bully. But generally with behaviour, if it works for you, then you repeat it. So if you're successful, you'll say in your, in your subconscious, right, let's do it again because that really works. So there can also be forms of uh, bullying that are silent and, and not physical at all, like exclusion. And children tell me that that's the most painful way to be bullied. School's a really lonely place, you know, if you've got no friends and there's 300 kids on the playground. So it can be silent, it can be physical, but the main points to it are that it's planned and repeated if it's real bullying behaviour. Hmm. Hmm. I yeah. actually, sorry. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Um, I was just going to say, I remember being bullied as a kid in primary school and, you know, it is the most horrible thing in the world at the time. And yeah. when you're young and you're vulnerable and you don't know how to stand up for yourself, like you said, life is very miserable. 
Yes, I agree. Mm, and particularly kids on the spectrum who have challenges with social situations already, you know, just being bullied adds to this roller coaster of emotions and insults to their self-esteem and their self-worth. It certainly does. Mm, and, um, yeah, like you said, there are different types of bullying. So there's the verbal bullying, there's physical bullying and social exclusion. Yep. Um, and, and that social exclusion is the worst form of bullying, I think, as well, you know, when kids are deliberately left out on purpose. Yes, um, and I have to say uh, that is quite common amongst groups of girls Boys tend to be more physical, generalisation, so, you know, of course it's not 100%, but girls can gather together in small groups from quite young ages and, uh, and you know, you're not going to be my best friend today, I don't feel like playing with you. <laughs> that is sort of stuff. Um, and it makes them feel powerful and it's so painful. Mm, yes, yeah, I'm already seeing that at school with my daughter. Are you? Uh, Mm, yes, it's not good at all. That's at such a young age, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. And, and it happens in the animal kingdom as well. We've had chooks and uh, one chook is always left out. Mm. So what about, so a lot of kids go through a teasing stage. So um, yeah. they're likely to have teased their brother or their sister or they'll, they'll test it out on some kids. Yes. Can you help us define the difference between teasing and bullying? So teasing usually is verbal um, and, and it's using words to make you feel uncomfortable. Again, it can be turned into bullying if it's repeated and it's planned and it's really nasty. But, uh, you know, sometimes families tease uh, each other and parents allow it. And uh, personally, I don't think any sort of teasing is acceptable. And it came to mind when I was thinking about this, it was about that footballer that was quite famous uh, a year or two ago where he was booed by 20,000 people all at the same time, every single time he played football. That group bullying is just outrageous. It's not a joke and it's not acceptable. It's not okay in sport. And, you know, people say, oh, they just have to toughen up. It's just part of a game. Well, you know what? It shouldn't be part of a game because it's really damaging to people. So even tough footballers, that guy was really crippled by it. I saw an interview with him. In the end, he just had to stop playing. And he wasn't a weak, wussy person. He was a strong man, but nobody can cope with that. Mm. So tease silently too, of course. You know, you can, and you can make it a joke. Look, I was only joking. But if uh, we, I say to kids, you know, if you get a body reaction to what somebody has just said to you, then it means it's not okay. It means it's not funny. And it's confusing to very young children. They just... Mm know what just happened you know but they get a reaction in their body so I teach children about that body reaction you know if you get a grip in your tummy or you get your saliva taken away from, from your mouth or you feel like you want to run then that means that what the person just said to you wasn't okay mm. and I think what you said there that you know, the line, I was only joking, is a really big cop-out. And you're right, it's not acceptable. And, um, you know, bullies tend to pick on the vulnerable kids. They pick on the kids that they know they can get away with it. Yes, so, and I think they, they, do, they do give it a try to other kids as well. So, so there is two parts to that. But if a child has been uh, taught how to manage it right from that first instance, I got a gut reaction, therefore I need to do something, then you tend to nip it in the bud quite quickly. But, yeah, I think all kids get it at some time, but it depends how they deal with it, whether it keeps on going. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what can parents do if they suspect that their child is being bullied? Okay, so the immediate answer to that question is just ask them, except it's not quite as simple as that. And the reason it's not as simple as that is that if you have somebody saying things to you and you feel hurt or you feel embarrassed or you're upset, then you start to wonder whether those taunts are actually true or you might be too scared to tell the parents because maybe there's been a threat that goes with it as well. Maybe they're feeling ashamed. 
So I, I asked a young client that I had many years ago um, what it was. The, the parent brought her to me because she was being bullied at school. So I had her uh, in a room by myself and I asked her what the problem was. I knew what it was as soon as she walked in the room and that was that she was a little bit overweight. Not a lot, just a little bit. So she said, I can't tell you exactly, but bullies pick on you the things that you don't like about yourself. I thought that was really clever. In other words, there's an element of truth in the words and that makes it really hurtful and very human to react to it. So this then leads to a, a child being vulnerable. Uh, it, it, the, it, the impact can be enormous. You know, it's quite common for kids to gather together in groups and form, if you like, like a pack. Um, and they, they develop their own code words and they have their own dress and they have their favourite sports and their favourite football team and uh, they start to use their own words. And I heard one last year that I thought was really funny and that was the use of the word dead, which I guess started from the word deadly. Uh, but they were talking about being deader than, than dead. That was when you were extra excited. So you get excluded if you don't know the code and they don't actually recognise that that's what's happening. But it creates a feeling in the child that they will go along with something that they don't want to do just to be part of that group. So parents have to look for warning signs. And the first and main one is that there's a dramatic change or even a mild change in the child's behaviour. They might start withdrawing, staying in their room, not wanting to go out or, well, not going to go to school. But I wouldn't say not going to, not wanting to go to school was on its own a sign. You know, sometimes the principal doesn't want to go to school either. It's, uh, you know, sometimes kids simply just don't want to go to school. They'd rather be home. But I mean, you know, that they've been quite happy going to school and then all of a sudden there's this dramatic change that on Sunday they start to feel sick in the stomach and they say, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. Looking sad, um, crying, you know, being extra sensitive and crying. Or the other, which is quite common as, as uh, kids get older, is, you know, extreme emotional outbursts over something that is actually quite minor. And it just comes from nowhere, like, whoa, what was that? Um, suddenly being mean to their siblings or their parents uh, and that obsessive checking on social media, they can't leave their phone. Even when they're sitting eating dinner, they're still looking at it out of the side of their eyes to see if some, some message is coming through that they need to listen to. So, uh, yeah, it's that, that sudden uh, real change that you notice. So then if you are going to speak to the uh, person about it, you have to be really careful and use very gentle handling. Don't make it feel like an interrogation and don't have a hallway conversation that is, you know, on the way out the door, I need to talk to you. Uh, it needs to be planned and it needs to be organised. The other thing that you need to um, recognise is that bullies often use threats. So... If you tell, you'll be in big trouble. If you tell, I'll beat you up or even threats to hurt other members of the family. So when you're talking to students or your children about being bullied, they often say, please don't tell. That's the other aspect that stops them from talking about it. In Australia, we have a culture of dobbing is not okay. And uh, so, I talk about dobbing being something that is when you deliberately tell on someone just to get them into trouble. It's not dobbing if you're saying, I need help. Um, so the most important uh, message that I can give is that um, there's no evidence that telling makes it worse, but there is evidence that if you don't do anything about it, it can keep on going for a very long time. So we have to give the power back to our children and make them empowered to deal with it in different ways and to talk about it. Mm. 
I love what you just said there because I think that is so important and such an important message is that um, we need to empower our kids. So obviously there's going to be consequences for the bully and that's needed. But what is really needed is to build up that confidence and the resilience and the self-esteem in the person who's being bullied. Um, It's about teaching them strategies in case it does happen again because we know, you know, at the end of the day, there are bullies everywhere in life. There's bullies at work, there's bullies at the playground, at school, on social media, and a lot of the time it's out of our control. So it's going to happen no matter what. So if we can build up that resilience in our kids and give them the coping strategies and um, help them with the plan so if it does happen again in life, wherever they are, that they can identify the first signs of being bullied and they know what to do. I agree with you and I think it's really important, Rhiannon, for kids to know that grown-ups get bullied too and they get the same sort of feeling and that they have to learn how to deal with it as well. So when kids understand it's not just them, I think that's quite empowering for children just in that statement. Mm, Absolutely. So the the effects of bullying can be far-reaching and, um, you know, always has a negative effect and sometimes a really devastating effect on a child. Are you able to talk through a little bit about the effects of bullying that it can have on a child's mental health and overall well-being? Uh, sure. So there is a, there's a range of factors in that in that, that not, not every uh, bully action causes the same reaction. Um, it, it depends on a lot of factors. It's the intensity, the frequency of it, you know, how long it goes on for, the age difference. So being teased or bullied by somebody that's the same size as you and the same age as you might have a slightly different effect than where the person is much older or the person is much bigger than you. So if somebody teases you and they're twice your size, your body tells you straight away, I'm in trouble here uh, just because of the physical aspect of it. Uh, And the other part of it is that the bully behaviour that comes from somebody who has some authority over you, like a teacher, and in my career, I unfortunately had the experience of working with several people who uh, have been uh, incarcerated even uh, and accused of bullying-type behaviours. So we have to talk to children about we have respect for adults, no matter who they are and what what their role is, but uh, if they ask you to do something that you don't feel comfortable about, you've got a right to say no. So the old obedience rule uh, in schools, when I went to school, you know, you obeyed what the teacher said and that that word was used in school policies. These days it's taken away and replaced with follow reasonable instructions. So therefore you've got a choice. And kids actually get that. When I talk to them about, you know, if the teacher said to you, go and steal something from that shop, is it okay? And and they know it's okay. If the policeman said, get up on the roof and jump off, would you do it? No, because that would be safe. So kids do actually understand that, Um, whereas in in my day it was, uh, you know, all adults were to be uh, the ones that told children what to do and there was no choice about it. But but we we know now because of the use of um, uh, equipment that we can view what's happening with the brain and how it changes, we can see that um, stress on a developing brain in young children uh, changes the brain. So even uh, where children are living in a domestic violence situation, the damage to the brain can be similar to a soldier serving in a war zone. So post-traumatic stress disorder is now accepted as a result for many soldiers who've been in war zones. But when they go to war, generally their brain has finished being under construction. So that takes place by about 24 to 26. Whereas young children, their brain is changing considerably particularly in the high emotional amygdala area of the brain, that's in the central core of the brain, that's the part 
that sends out cortisol when you are in a high stress situation, and also the frontal lobe part of the brain. So what happens when a children, uh, when children are uh, in that high, high emotion part of the brain and not feeling safe, then that part of their brain changes. It can uh, affect the self-esteem, the self-actualization, the confidence of children. Uh, and uh, there's critical periods in the development of the human uh, being even before birth, if the mother of the child is under extreme stress and having cortisol released from her brain, that can have an impact on the fetus. So we now know you can even be a sufferer of stress reaction before you're even born. And I think we're still learning about that. You know, I think uh, there can be damage done to children's brains even when they're um, born very premature and, and have uh, lots of things happen to them that are not what uh, we could consider to be ideal situations, that the brain changes under extreme stress that's ongoing, that part we know. The other effects can be um, resulting in anxiety, depression, suicide, you know, feelings of uh, not wanting to live anymore. Sometimes uh, I've had parents ring me to say that their teenage child is saying that they don't want to live anymore, but I think they're just attention seeking. That's a really dangerous way to feel about it. If your child's saying they don't want to live anymore, it needs to be investigated. Uh, we know that uh, obsessive type behaviours, addictions to drugs and alcohol, food disorders, sleep disorders, self-harm, social isolation. So, you know, it's significant and it's the reason why worldwide there's been such a, um, a push towards dealing with this whole issue. It's, it's important. Um, we also need to... Um, let the victim, if you're, and I don't like using that language, but the person who's being bullied, uh, we, we need to um, give them that empowerment, but the strategies to know how to make it to stop. So an example I was thinking of was when my niece came to me about being bullied in uh, private school. So, you know, it happens in all schools. It's, it uh, doesn't just choose government schools or whatever. Um, and these, these girls had been friends in primary school, but my niece uh, now belonged to a different group. And uh, she started getting death threats on her phone. So it was pretty awful, and she was really scared. So I talked to her about it, and she told me a story about how she was travelling on the school bus. They both went on the same bus on the way home. And then my niece, who's very socially outgoing, was up the back of the bus with a big group of girlfriends and this girl was sitting down the front of the bus all by herself. And so I said to my niece, do you think she's feeling excluded? My niece said, no, no way, I'm not excluding her. And then I could see a little light bulb go on and she thought about it for a moment. She said, well, all right, maybe I'll try talking to her about it first. And that's what it was. It was fixed quite easily and the girl apologised, but I don't think the friendship was ever really repaired, but at least the harassment stopped. And if we'd gone in, you know, guns blazing, I mean, we could have gone to the police about that. You're just not allowed to make death threats to people. Um, it would have blown it up into something that it didn't need to happen. But this girl was feeling isolated and excluded and that was her way of handling it. So it was a pretty big uh, deal in our family for a little while. Hmm. And that's it. The reality of bullying is very scary. Like you talked about some of the effects, um, anxiety, depression, and even suicide. And this is, it, it, that's the reality. And that is super scary as a parent raising children um, to know that that's a possibility. Yeah. I remember reading probably 20 years ago, the World Health Organization said that anxiety and depression was going to be the leading illness in the world by 2020 and we're already there mm. so it's higher than cancer uh, and uh, but it's significant so you know we haven't got it sorted yet that's for sure 
Mm, no, I just got goosebumps when you said that. That is really scary and it's not okay. Um, yeah. And we need to be starting to do something around, around it. And that's why we're having this conversation now. Yeah. So yes. what, what are some good conversation starters around bullying and how can we address this with our kids? Okay, so we've established that ignoring it's not okay. Um, and if, if uh, you know, sometimes when somebody says something to you and you just ignore it and walk away, if that stops it, well, then that, that's fine. But if something keeps going on, then we know that if I keep doing that strategy, I'm going to get the same result. I have to change what I'm doing. So having a conversation um, about the child is the best way to go. And I find in the initial, until you work out what's going on, it needs to be a bit of a formal conversation and it needs to be just with that one child. Uh, so I'm thinking about between about, say, eight to teenage years. Um, we don't just do it in the hallway on the way out the door. I want to talk to you about da 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 We say to them in advance, I want to have a meeting with you without the other kids in the family. It's important that you make it in a place where you're not going to be interrupted and that you're feeling quite comfortable and that you have a body language that says this is a comfortable conversation where you're not in trouble. I just want to talk to you. So a starting, uh, a starter to the conversation might be so, something to say that I appreciate that you're sitting here with me. You know, start off on a positive note. Thanks so much for coming to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Um, but lately I've, I've noticed that you seem a bit distracted, a bit angry, really overreacting with the other kids in the family. Is there something happening? Now, can you hear the silence? Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the person to think about what I've just said and come up with an answer. What I find when I'm in a three-way meeting with a child, a parent and myself, I might ask the question or the parent might ask the question, and when the child doesn't answer, they go, they hop in and fill the silence for the child. Sometimes I have to say, could you just wait and be quiet? <laughs> or could you just wait outside? Um, because their emotional reaction is showing in their quick response. But also it takes time to process a piece of information and come up with an answer. You know, even if you're 16 years old, you can't always suddenly decide to disclose about something that's hurting. So allow for silence and then you'll get the child to fill that silence. And it happens with adults as well. But if that doesn't work, if the silence doesn't work, then you might fill the gap again. So I've noticed that there's been a change in you. I'm really concerned that there's something really bothering you and you might be able to give some examples of, of what's happening. I was wondering if things are going okay at school with your friends or, or at basketball. You, you seem to not want to be doing that anymore. So I'm talking about gentle encouragement. You can't make somebody talk something about it if they don't want to fix it and just because you want it to be fixed right now doesn't mean that they are ready to do so. So what we're doing is we're opening the door for a conversation to come out at a bit of a later date. The one uh, protective behaviours statement, and that's a program that's been going in Australia for a long time, and it started in England actually, uh, and one of their catch cries was, nothing is so bad that you can't talk about it with me. It might be that you say, and if you don't want to talk about it with me, you might want to talk to and then know who the child's close to. You might want to talk to grandma on the phone. Sometimes not being face-to-face -face with the person makes it easier to talk. Sometimes it might be you might like to, you know, go to the tip with Dad on Sunday and talk about it on the way to the tip. Sometimes side-by-side -side is easier than face-to-face -face if you're feeling embarrassed and uncomfortable. But if it doesn't work in that first conversation, you've got to keep watching. Keep watching with your eyes and your ears to see if you're getting more evidence that there is something going on. If you do get a disclosure, listen without making lots of comments. And sometimes that's really quite difficult. One of my granddaughters, uh, we were sitting in the back of the car one night driving home and my granddaughter started to tell about how 
they'd had a bullying and uh, anti-teasing day at the school that day and they said that you have to tell. So I just want to tell you that I'm being bullied at school and she started to talk and I felt like jumping out of the car and running and fighting that child right then. You know, I could really feel that surge of emotion. So I know that you have to get that under control before you talk. <laughs> the other thing that can happen with young people is that they start to talk and they talk about a whole lot of other things and it actually isn't on the topic. It actually isn't about how they're feeling right at the moment. They just need to offload about a whole range of other things. And the tendency for the adult is to interrupt and say, no, but we're talking about this right now. That then breaks the conversation and the person on the receiving end feels like, well, you're asking me to talk and now you're telling me to stop talking. And it's a bit of a conversation stopper. So I found bookmarking is a good thing. When you've realised that the conversation is off track, just mentally put in a bookmark of that's where we finished, where I want to go. When they finish talking, we'll go back to that. You find you get a really different result in the in the end of the conversation when you reflect back on it lately, later, I should say. Um, and the other thing about uh, young people is that they don't always see cause and effect accurately. So there might be a big row on Saturday because you say, I want you to clean your room and we're not going out until it's done. And there's this big emotional outburst and, and you find out later that the boyfriend dropped her last Wednesday, you know, but... The child themselves doesn't have, or the teenager doesn't have any understanding that this emotional outburst on Saturday is all to do with what happened during the week. You know, you have to teach about cause and effect. So young people really don't always understand how their emotions control their behaviour. That's something that we have to teach them because it does help you to um, control it if you understand what's going on. So let's talk about the strategies. Um, there's two ways that people can deal with bullying where it doesn't work very well. Uh, and that is to be, you know, so upset that they start to cry. And so I talk uh, to children about that being the weak way, you know, that your body goes small and your eyes go down and you talk in a winchy voice. Or at the opposite end, and I draw a continuum up on the board, the opposite end is when you get really angry and your fists form and you say something really just as bad back, like you're just a dickhead, and then it becomes physical. Those two ends of the continuum is not the way to get rid of the bullying. The way to get rid of it is more in the middle. And when you develop those strategies, what happens is the bully, who's like a fisherman, has thrown out his lure to hook you in, well, if you don't catch the fish, then you go do something else. So we have to teach the kids about how to be strong, how to look as if you're in control, but that way you're not reinforcing the bully in what they want to do and they want to have power over you. That's, that's the part to remember. Well, you're not going to have power over me. I'm going to have a strong body. My shoulders are pulled back. I make eye contact with you and I say something in an assertive way. So we have to talk about the tone of voice, the speed at which you're speaking, and that's being assertive. So I role play with kids and we do a little bit of teasing backwards and forwards and I say to the parent, we have to know what that assertiveness looks like, what it feels like and what it sounds like, and we have to do it over and over and over so that when the bullying happens, the cortisol that's released from our brain, I'm scared, is under control and we can say something that looks like I'm in control. So don't speak to my me like that. I don't like it. Leave me alone and walk away. Now what often happens is they don't walk away, they just stand there and let me keep doing it. And I say, no, no, you've got to walk away, walk away. And we make it funny and we laugh and, you know, that way it stays in your brain. So we're going to keep repeating this until you can say it to me in that strong way and make eye contact with it. And they find that quite difficult to do it to me as an adult. The more difficult it is, the better, because then it stays in your brain and then when it really happens, you're able to do that. So eye contact, shoulders back, firm voice, 
and say something like, I don't like it when you do that. Now, they can te they teach children in uh, childcare centres now to say, stop, I don't like it. Um, and, you know, as you get older, you have to do it in slightly different ways and sometimes it needs to be retaught for teenagers to do it in a teenage acceptable way. Uh, and it's the walking away that's really important. And if it doesn't work, then you have to talk about who you're going to ask for help. That's really important because there are certain um, types of bullying that there's nothing that you can do about it except get out of the, the way. So if you were confronted by a gang, for example, who were harassing you, you get away as quickly as possible. There's no way to win with that sort of imbalance. There's a program called Rock and Water that lots of uh, schools um, have undertaken over the years. It's been going, well, I did my training in it probably 25 years ago. Um, and it teaches uh, uh, about how to keep yourself safe on the streets. It was designed in Sweden to counteract street violence that was happening there. Um, and it teaches about how um, people can use aggressive body language. And, uh, you know, kids can be threatened in the assembly area where there's 300 children and it's so powerful. It says, I can threaten you with all these people around you and you can't do a thing. So Rock and Water uh, is a really good program for children. I think the age group is over 10 uh, and uh, it, it is actually a very physical program but it also builds a belief in yourself that you've got the resilience to stand up to whatever happens to you. And certainly part of that is there are times where your body says, there's no way I can deal with this, I have to get out of here. So that's at the highest level. If the harassment continues, um, parents need to go to the school and talk about it, but get your emotions under control before you do that because you, if you go up in a big uh, outburst of emotion, then you don't get the same sort of reaction that you think you're looking for. I once found a parent in the classroom grabbing hold of a child and screaming in his face, if you bully my child again, I'm going to come and rip your arms off. So it's not really the sort of role modelling that we want. And in that particular case, I, I had to go to the police because that really was not acceptable in a classroom. And that and the, a little boy was only about six or seven. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely not okay. And it's definitely not okay that parents confront the children themselves. It needs to be done um, in a professional way. So uh, be calm. Confrontation, there's no way to solve problems. And we need to teach children through uh, our own behaviour. A parent workshop I ran recently, um, you know, I, I tell my kids, if you let me know if someone's bullying you, I'll just go up there and I'll give them a good hiding. Well, you know, that's actually not the sort of action we want. It's actually saying, I can bully them, uh, therefore you're saying really, you know, bullying behaviour is okay. So get the school on side, work together. Um, when you go there, talk about facts, be confident and, uh, and ask for a plan and also say, okay, and then I want to come back in two weeks' time and we have a review about what's happened and where we go next, who's doing what, all of those sorts. So make it formal but insist that you're coming back about it because schools are very busy places and things can get put to one side. So don't accept if nothing has been done. You keep fighting until you feel that you've got what you need out of the situation. There's lots of school staff uh, employed to help in these sort of things. And they're bringing back school-based constables, which I'm really thrilled about. That was a fantastic program and it was taken away a few years ago. Just having uh, police officers in schools teaches kids that they can be your friend. Uh, there are some children who come to live in Australia where police officers are not friends and they're afraid of them. So school-based constables go a long way to building good relationships. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, you can also ask the school for what's their policy. They should all have a policy uh, that's been uh, ratified by the school council or the board uh, that outlines what they do about these sorts of situations. And maybe they haven't looked at it for a while and you'll remind them that it exists because that's what they're supposed to do. <coughs> Pardon me. So, 
Schools have been implementing programs, in my experience, since the 80s and 90s. There's been heaps of research across the world. Um, leaders in the research were in, from Scotland, New Zealand, the US, Sweden, I mentioned before, and Australia as, as well. So there's been lots of research and lots of programs. In the Northern Territory, we have a full-on promotion week of anti-bullying called uh, Bullying No Way. They've got a website. There's strong programs that bring up this issue for conversations. It's, they're designed to say to kids that this is not okay, that this is what bullying looks like and what it sounds like. They talk about the bystander effect. That's where people standing around laugh or encourage it. So 30 years of work and research show that there has been actually a reduction in bullying behaviours, but as you mentioned before, Rhiannon, it's not no bullying. There's still a fair amount of it going on, but there has been a reduction in that out, out in front of your, your face bullying. What's happened is, of course, that the cyber part of it has increased. So um, bullying is also dealt with with restorative justice programs where the bully is supported, um, in, you know, when the way to deal with the bully is not to bully them. Uh, and so they bring together the victims, their families, where the bullying has had impact on other people in the family, so that the bully sees that it isn't just the person sitting in front of them that has uh, effects from their behaviour, but a whole group of people. It might be the teacher as well who's seeing that and having to deal with upset students. So some people might think, oh, well, you know, the bullies need punishment. Well, punishment can be a form of bullying too. And some children are bullied at home. Some parents think that bullying their children is an acceptable way to parent. And sometimes that leads them to go out and bullying other people. Sometimes the bully is an older sibling. So the research has shown actually that the incidence of sexual abuse by uh, children has increased. That's another form of bullying. But imagine if it's your older brother or sister bullying you and you have to sleep in the same room so you have no safe place to go when that happens. At least if it's happening at school, you've got home to go through. But if it's happening at home, that is really damaging. And sometimes parents just ignore it and say, oh, you know, that's just um, the way kids, that's just sibling rivalry, that's quite normal. Well, it isn't and it's very damaging. And it's damaging to be part of a family where bullying takes place. Domestic violence is a form of bullying and you don't have to actually be being hit but being in a household where there's domestic violence is damaging. So restorative practices seek to teach bullies that there's another way of behaving. Um, so, and, and we're trying to empower even children that are being bullies, we're empowering them to use behaviours that are acceptable behaviours rather than unacceptable behaviours. Sometimes bullies are doing it just to, to be part of the gang, they think it's funny. So it's about empowering them to, to behave differently as well. Um, so that uh, child against child uh, sexual abuse and the cyberbullying stuff uh, has increased in recent years and uh, so there's still lots of work to be done. The police are now sending out trainers to schools um, and other organisations to talk about uh, bullying and uh, cyberbullying in particular and how to tackle this problem. Uh, and it's, they're using the same sort of strategies that uh, we're talking about that they talk to children about what to do to do with it and how to deal with it. Unfortunately, one of the problems with uh, cyberbullying is often that the parents often don't know as much as the kids do about that sort of stuff. So you have to work together on that one. Uh, but be vigilant. Keep an eye on what your children are watching on devices. Realise that this can be um, a problem that the children think they know about it and they don't. So there's been this big upsurge of girls taking photographs of their genitals and sending it out to other kids uh, and they just don't realise that that can be uh, sent out to millions of people uh, and they just don't realise the implications of that. There's many organisations that can help you. There's Kids Lifeline, Headspace, Anglicare, Somerville, many organisations locally here that offer counselling uh, and uh, 
it's easy to access. You you can these days you can look up Google and get information. There's um a uh, website www.fullpower.safetycomics. They have uh, a program that you can buy that is for teenagers right up to adults, and uh, the comics give um, strategies and so forth uh, at a kids level. So sometimes using some form of literature to talk about these situations is a conversation starter. And uh, you could work together on some of those type of programs so that you're both learning at the same time. That's always a good way to go uh, with kids, that we're both working on this problem at the same time. They feel supported then and that gives you that confidence and that strength. Um, so one of the sides of that emotional um, stress that a child is under is extreme emotional outbursts and that can happen pretty much at any age group right up until uh, you know they're leaving home and they're in their 20s. One way to deal with um, emotional outbursts is to use emotional coaching uh, and I'll just run through that really quickly or we're going to run out of time. Um, the first thing to do with emotional coaching and when you're seeing that there's a huge emotional reaction the first thing is not to emotionally react in the same way. So if you can't do that, walk away and get yourself under control first. Um, acknowledging the emotion uh, when you can say to the child, wow, this must be really upsetting for you. Um, if they've disclosed something to you, wow, that's that's incredible. I would have been so angry about that. So if somebody acknowledging the emotion starts to take the sting out of it for people. Um, how did that make you feel? Linking the body reaction, gee, we and you were just talking about that and my gut just went in a real scrunch. So I'm really having empathy for what you're talking about. What, what have, uh, naming entertainment, so this is actually bullying behaviour, you know, and then talking about what happened, what happened next, and then making a plan about what we're going to do after that. That's the key, working together. Okay? Yeah, awesome. That is <laughs> so much a wealth of information. There's a lot of information there. Yes. I agree. I'm sorry. Wonderful. No, it's great. And I love what you said at the beginning of that and just at the end again, you touched on that emotional coaching. So not trying to solve their problems exactly for them but just, um, and, you know, because we often step in and we start talking on their behalf or yeah not yep. giving them that space and opportunity to talk. So I, that was one important point that I really pulled from that was um, because often as parents we do coming from this, like it's coming from a deep place of love and we, we want to stand up for them and we feel that emotion ourselves, and we get so invested in this. Yep, I agree with you. But what it does do is, uh, oh, you need me to, to fix this when you, when you interrupt and come up with the solutions. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Mm. Yeah. So with this in mind, how do we empower our kids? Well, that's that, that's one of the ways of empowering that you're talking about there um, is, is uh, first of all, you don't behave in inappropriate ways yourself because we learn more from what... Uh, you, we learn more from what people are doing around us than what they're telling us to do. Um, so, you know, it doesn't mean you can't have a joke in your family, but it doesn't have a nasty element to it or a put-down. Um, no yelling instructions at them across mm -hmm. the room. That, that, you know, that's, that's a form of bullying that happens because we're in a hurry. We don't mean it to be like that. One parent workshop that I had, as it was finishing, one lady was standing at the doorway and she said loudly to everybody, I've just realised that if I spoke to the people at work the way I speak to my child, I wouldn't have a job. And, you know, that was a fantastic. That's the sort of thing that keeps me doing this job. That uh, It's true. I hear parents constantly uh, speaking to children in a way that's really unacceptable. You know, just out of the street shopping or whatever, my husband's always grabbing hold of me and saying, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your problem stop it <laughs> I know and yeah. do you know what it is it's it's often we have our own challenges with our ability to self-regulate here we are trying to teach our kids to self-regulate their own emotions exactly. um, and we need to remember you know first step is for us to be calm 
Yeah, definitely. So acknowledging the feelings uh, and then uh, allowing choices. Uh, choices build neurons in the brain that carry messages from the emotional core part that I was talking about before, the amygdala, to the frontal part of the brain, and that's the part of, of the brain that plans and thinks and, and solves problems and works out how, what to do next. One really quick way of doing that to get the brain to stop acting in that emotional part of the brain and moving into the frontal cortex is to count, particularly counting backwards, five, four, three, two, one, and it pulls the brain into operating in that other part of the brain. It's just a little quick strategy that might help you if you've got a child that gets really um, high emotional responses to quite minor triggers. Um, mm. Often children with autism like numbers too because they, they uh, can interpret them quickly and accurately. So that's a little strategy. So what was the question that you asked me? Mm, no, no, that answers it. It was just how we empower our kids. Yeah. So giving okay. them a strategy yeah. like that by counting yeah. backwards. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and it really explains the science behind it as well. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, we te teach things about giving respect to others and then having uh, respect back. Uh, we acknowledge the rights of children. And that, you know, everybody has a right to be safe. Well, that means that you've got a responsibility. What's the responsibility? Well, the responsibility is that I have to be uh, kind to other people and not cause them to be unsafe. Yeah, so then when everybody's fulfilling their responsibilities, then that's when we rights work well together. So, um, yeah, it's, it's every day in every way we're thinking about what we do with our children has an impact on them and that we want children to be the sort of people that have successful, emotionally successful lives and to be resilient and that we're going to role model the things that do that. Hmm. Um, there's, um, you know, heaps of stuff. Schools put in a lot of work into this sort of area too and accessing what they're doing is helpful if you're using the same sort of language. Uh, so this um, a program like Mind Matters is looking at children's mental health issues. That's part of the curriculum. They, they build um, self-esteem and resiliency, the restorative justice that I was talking about. That's about how to mediate conflicts. So, you know, there's a lot out there in our society and we just need to be able to access it to make sure that we're role-modelling the right way ourselves. <laughs> so if they're getting excluded, you know, I think a big part of it is, um, you know, finding people that they can connect with. How, what are some ways that our kids can make new friends and feel like they belong? Well, certainly from my own experience as a parent, and it's a long time ago, but I don't think it's changed, that we always encouraged um, our children to bring friends home I personally prefer to have a whole group of kids all playing happily than one that was whinging and saying I'm bored. So I was doing it for myself as well. Um, and, uh, and I would also always provide food and I would sit down at the table with them so that I was getting to know the children as well. I remember once I did it and I just put out some fruit and cheese and one of the kids said to my son, you said she'd be baking cakes. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I often had, obviously had a reputation in the street for providing good morning and afternoon tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we played games as a family, you know, taking turns, learning how to win and lose. Uh, parents often come to me about, you know, their two-year-old, their three-year-old doesn't share. Sharing is learned. You don't just get born knowing how to share. And it's an adult concept, except, you know, like you get a birthday present and it's yours. And then friends come around and you're supposed to share it. And then you go to the shop and you can play with them quickly, but your mother says put it back on the shelf because it's not yours. You know, like all of those things need to be taught. Don't expect that kids will just know how to do these things. It's about going to do whole family things together, and I think families do that pretty well. My family went on the weekend to the um, Parap um, Park where you can ride your bike around um, They've got proper little street lights and stuff, so it's a, an enclosed park 
and you can just um, do the gaze, turn on the light and all the lights come on and you can practice stop and go and all of those sorts of things. But the whole family went and did it together. But also I say to families, it's also important to every now and again just have each child on their own. You'll notice the dynamic changes completely when you have one-to-one -one with your child. They'll talk more. Sometimes they'll talk so much your ears nearly fall off. But um, having one-to-one -one with children is really important as well. And uh, I know that we're time poor, but, you know, five minutes a day, even if that's all you can do, just have that private conversation while the child's lying down, have a story, that sort of stuff. Don't always make it for the whole group. Give some individual attention. Um, mm, I think I've covered most of the sort of things that, uh, that we did to make new friends. Sometimes with children on the spectrum, they find it much more difficult and you have to be much more specific about how to make friends, how to go and approach other people. Could, would you like to play with me? Do you want to play chess in the library? Those sorts of things. Um, one of the things that I was going to mention was there are safe places at school and other places at school that are not so safe. Talk to the children about that. And for children who have trouble socially, the library is often a good place to go because there's always a teacher on duty and that teacher can survey the whole area. There are teachers on the playground, but they're not always, they don't have eyes in the back of their head and they don't always see everything. So kids tell me constantly that the basketball court is an area of conflict where uh, conflicts seem to happen. I don't understand quite why, but it comes up repeatedly. Um, and so talking about where to go for a safe place and how to approach people, role model it. Would you like to play chess with me? Uh, that sort of stuff. The more you role model it, the more that you do it in a positive way, the more it sinks into the brain and the children can repeat it when they need to be able to use it. Uh, <coughs> and uh, well, just one other example that uh, the primary school that my granddaughters or some of my granddaughters have gone to, they have a chair that's got a sign above it that says, I'm looking for a friend. And when you go and sit there, somebody comes up and says, you can come and play with us. I think that's a lovely thing to do. Mm, yes, my daughter has one of those at her school too and it's called a buddy bench. I hadn't seen it before actually until I moved up to the Northern Territory and, um, you know, I often see kids who are looking a bit lonely and they'll sit there and another child will walk up and sit next to them and I think it's such a wonderful way to promote inclusion because it's happening at the level of the child. So it's initiated by the child. It's not, you know, a, a teacher prompting them to do something or the teacher coming up yeah. and intervening. So I think... But it also shows there's a lot of teaching that's gone on around that. Mm. that being sitting there by yourself isn't a reason to be teased. It's a reason to be supported, you know. So it doesn't just happen... You couldn't just put the seat there and put the sign on it. You have to be teaching the whole school culture that this is what we do here. Mm, yeah, and it's wonderful. I think every school in Australia needs one of those. I agree. Mm. Yeah. All righty. Well, let's start to wrap it up. Let's head to the five rapid-fire questions. Yeah. <laughs> Great. We'll start with number one, which is what is one habit that our listeners can implement today? Connect with your children every day. Uh, be calm and warm and say, how was your day? Even if there's been some conflict in the, during the day, you know, in the car on the way to school or whatever, it's over and done with. Let it go and go back to that positive connection. And how was your day is a really good way to start a conversation around the dinner table. Mm. So important, so important. Yep. Number two, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? What do I need to change? Because when they come to me, I usually allow for one and a half hours for the first interview with the parents. Mm -hmm. And uh, that hour and a half is telling me all of the things the child's done wrong. Mm. So then I start to talk about what they need to do differently mm. and, you know, working on the child. So I wish they would just start with what do I need to change and it would be a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Number three, what book would you recommend all parents read? Well, um, not 
necessarily all parents, but uh, for some parents, if they want to understand how a young child's brain controls their emotions and how to manage that much better than we've done in previous uh, generations, I recommend The Whole Brain Child by Daniel Siegel. He's got uh, strategies in the back of the book that go from zero to 12, so it's a good 12-year investment. And uh, he's one of the uh, worldwide authorities that works with children that are hurt and damaged. And emotional coaching is one of the strategies that he uses, which we mentioned before. Mm, brilliant. Number four, what is one of your top unfinished bucket list items? Um, I'd like to write a book about um, children that are in care, children that have been hurt and damaged and uh, assist educators in uh, the healing process and allow educators to better understand their behaviour. Some of the uh, parents that do fostering in uh, the Northern Territory, I work with them and some of those children are very seriously damaged and it's a very hard job and I would like to write something that would help them and I'm starting already to put things together, but I've still got a long way to go. <laughs> it's a lengthy process, but I think that would definitely be very valuable. Yes, I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Number five, if you could only offer one piece of advice to parents, what would it be? Um, well, remember the three C's is what I talk about. You need to be calm, and I've talked about that several times. You need to be consistent. Uh, and kids uh, respond to routines and knowing what's happening. That helps keep their emotional uh, core under control. But with consistency, sometimes there is a need to be flexible. So, you know, it's a bit of a two-edged sword. But in general, um, being consistent keeps the family turning over in a, um, in a calm way. And lastly, the last C is confidence. So a parent needs to be confident. If a child sees their parent isn't coping, that's quite scary because a parent's job is to look after me and keep me safe. So I want a parent that looks like they know what they're talking about. So sometimes it's better to be confident and be wrong than be, be um, emotionally, you know, rocking and rolling uh, and doing the other things. So confidence is really important and that's what I try and promote with the parents that I'm working with. Mm. Love it. Calm, consistent and confidence. That's what we can all take away. Great. So how can our listeners connect with you, Sue? Uh, well, uh, people are um, welcome to connect with me. I don't charge people for the first conversation because sometimes I'm not the right person for the job. Really, my main focus is behaviour, even though I get involved with other things. Uh, but sometimes uh, I redirect. So I don't charge people while we have that first conversation. I've got a website, which is www.stopweightgo.com.au. You can send a link through to me from that. And I've also got a Facebook page and Messenger is a way lots of parents make contact with me. So I'd be happy to talk to people, even if you're not sure that I'm the right person. We can always talk about making a plan about where to go and then come back to me. You know, it might be a food intolerance, for example, that's causing the problem. We need to get that under control first and then we talk strategies about the behaviour. Mm, excellent. And do you only see people locally in the Darren area or do you provide Skype or online or telephone? Yep, yep I do. Um, and, you know, people say that you need to see the child. I've been doing this so long when people describe the behaviour to me generally, <laughs> generally I can picture it quite clearly. Um, but there's also other ways, you know, you can take... Uh, uh, a movie on your iPad and uh, we can look at it, that sort of stuff. But in general, people talking about it is enough. Mm. Uh, home visits, I do go to childcare centres and classrooms. If we can't work out what's going on from home, we can look at other places as well. And I could talk to a teacher in another place as well. So, yep, you don't have to be local. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sue. Honestly, I have learnt so much and I'm sure everyone who has tuned in today has learnt a whole heap as well. Um, and it's been really empowering. You've given us lots of tools and lots of strategies and I think we'll all have to listen to this again. So um, thank you so much. It's definitely a conversation that we needed to have on the podcast to raise a little bit more awareness about bullying and inclusion for our kids. So thank you so much for your time. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Rhiannon. Thanks, Sue. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks guys for listening. I really hope you got some value out of today's conversation. Now I would love to connect with you. I am really active over on Instagram and Facebook. So I'd love it if you came over and you said hi. All you have to do is search Homebase Hope and you will find me there. Now, if you don't know already, I am a lover of essential oils and a doTERRA wellness advocate. I really believe in the value of essential oils. And if this is something that you would like to explore and learn how you can use them in your family's life, then please get in touch. I would love to connect with you. And also, if you head over to Homebase Hope website, so that's homebasehope.com.au, I have created lots of visuals and social stories. So visuals in terms of first then, choice boards, visual schedules for toileting, getting ready in the morning. I've done all the hard work for you. Um, These are printables that are available on on the website so you can access today. Finally, if you love this fortnightly injection of information, please subscribe to the podcast. All you have to do is head to iTunes and hit the subscribe button. And every fortnight, you will get an instant notification of the latest interview. If you do like the show, please jump on iTunes and leave a five-star review so more people can discover this podcast and so we can inspire positive change for more people living on the spectrum. You can access all of the show notes and other episodes at homebasehope.com.au. And until next time, guys, I encourage you to open your mind, respect the differences, and above all, believe that you can make a difference from home base. See you soon, guys. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.